Hello and welcome to the Climate Change Weekly Podcast. It's the 1st of September 2019. This week, as the Amazon burns, Trump is a no-show at the G7 talks on climate and biodiversity. Greta Thunberg arrives in New York after 16 days at sea. A new report says that the outlook for the Great Barrier Reef has deteriorated from poor to very poor. And there are plans to shut down Washington, D.C. on the 23rd of September. For this week's topic of the week, we'll conclude our look at nuclear power. Donald Trump did not attend Monday's crucial discussions on climate and biodiversity at the G7 meeting of international leaders, missing talks on how to deal with Amazon rainforest fires and on new ways to cut carbon emissions. Reporters noticed at the start of the session that the US president's chair was empty. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, confirmed that Trump had not personally attended the climate session, but that his team had been present. He said that he had held long and in-depth talks with Mr. Trump on the Amazon fires and the US president shares our objectives and was fully engaged in the joint G7 effort to help Brazil. Trump did address climate change at a later press conference and here's what he had to say. In a nutshell, I want the cleanest water on earth. I want the cleanest air on earth. And that's what we're doing. And I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I have done more environmental impact statements probably than anybody that's, I guess, I can say definitely, because I've done many, many, many of them, more than anybody that's ever been president or vice president or anything even close to president. And I think I know more about the environment than most people. That statement is really beyond belief. According to a New York Times analysis based on research from Harvard and Columbia Law Schools, the Trump administration has rolled back or is in the process of rolling back 84 environmental rules. So let's just look at a few examples. On air pollution, they've rolled back 10 rules and 13 rules are in the process of being rolled back. So some of the rules he's rolled back are they've cancelled the requirement for oil and gas companies to report methane emissions, loosened Clinton-era rules designed to limit toxic emissions from major industrial polluters, stopping the enforcement of a 2015 rule that prohibited the use of hydrofluorocarbons, which are powerful greenhouse gases, in air conditioners and refrigerators, and many, many more. Among the changes in progress, one well-known one is the proposed weakening of the fuel economy standards for cars and light trucks, which even the car industry doesn't agree with. Also, of course announcing the United States withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement. So for him to say that he's in favour of clean air and clean water and he's environmentally sensitive, it would be laughable if it weren't for the fact that he's, by some measure, the most powerful man on the planet. Greta Thunberg completed her 16-day sail across the Atlantic on Wednesday, and this is what she had to say on arrival. Well, all of this is very overwhelming, and uh, the ground is still shaking for me. So, but I want to thank everyone so much, everyone who, who is here and uh, everyone who, who is involved in this climate fight because this is a fight across borders, across continents and um, it's, it's, as you said, it is insane that a 16-year-old have to cross the Atlantic Ocean to, to make a stand and to and uh, this, of course, is not something that I want everyone to do. 
Two days later, she was joined by a crowd of about a 1,000 American teenagers at a protest outside the UN headquarters. It's great to see that Greta has some support in America, and I hope it continues to grow over the coming weeks. Turning to the Great Barrier Reef. The outlook for the reef has deteriorated from poor to very poor, according to an exhaustive government report that warns that the window of opportunity to improve the natural wonder's future is now. The Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority's Outlook Report, published every five years, finds corals have declined to a very poor condition and there is widespread habitat loss and degradation affecting fish, turtles and seabirds. It warns the plight of the reef will not improve unless there is urgent national and global action to address the climate crisis, which it describes as its greatest threat. The report says rising sea temperatures and extreme events linked to climate change, such as the marine heat waves that caused mass coral bleaching in the northern two-thirds of the reef in 2016 and 2017, are the most immediate risks. In fact, the latest IPCC report warns that 99% of the world's corals are at very high risk if global temperature rises reach 2 degrees centigrade which seems all but inevitable. And yet, according to the Australian Clean Energy Council, Queensland, at just 10%, has the lowest level of renewable energy generation of all the states in Australia. Although there are plans to double that figure within the next couple of years, beyond that, plans for improvement are far less certain. Following on from last week's discussion about Extinction Rebellion, a group called Rising Tide North America is joining with Extinction Rebellion Chesapeake Climate Action Network and others in an attempt to bring Washington DC to a standstill on the 23rd of September. A call to action document for Shut Down DC highlights worsening superstorms, floods, droughts and wildfires and notes that they unevenly hurt people with low incomes and people of colour. We do not take this action lightly. We know this shutdown will cause massive disruption to people who bear little responsibility for the climate catastrophe we are facing but we will also cause massive disruption for politicians, huge corporations and the lobbyists who control our government. Turning to our topic of the week, we're going to complete our look at nuclear power and here we're going to focus on decommissioning. Now, I'm just going to take a single example of what can happen with a nuclear power plant and this is the Dunray power plant which is on the north coast of Scotland. Now, Dunray was what's called a fast breeder reactor. And what you may not know is that what has generally caused meltdowns of reactors is a loss of coolant or a loss of cooling ability. So many reactors are what's called pressurised water reactors, which means that the reactor's central core is cooled by a water system and that water is often under huge pressures and it may be at 170 degrees centigrade but still liquid because it's under enormous pressure. The problem comes that if a leak occurs in the system and the pressure is released, all of that water instantly turns into steam which has very little cooling effect and hence the reactor gets too hot and melts down. Now there's various ways around this. Um, I visited a reactor in the UK called Haysham and in that reactor, the uranium rods are held in the reactor's core by electromagnets, um, and they're actually hovering in air inside the core, and the reason being that if the reaction starts to get out of control, the power to that electromagnetic circuit can be switched off, and the rods simply fall out of the bottom of the core 
and this stops the reaction and stops the core from overheating. Now at Dune Ray, they actually used liquid metal to cool the reactor. A mixture of potassium and sodium was used and the, the reactor effectively sat in a bath of that metal. And even if circulation of the coolant was interrupted, natural convection within the liquid would actually disperse the heat and apparently that meant that the reactor wasn't at risk of melting down. So it's been something that has been in, of interest to me as a potentially safer reactor design than the gas-cooled or water-cooled reactors. But Dune Ray was taken offline after operating for 20 years and I thought it'd be useful just to have a look at what, what's the future for Dune Ray after it stopped producing electricity. So on the 1st of April 2005, the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority became the owner of the site. Decommissioning of Dune Ray was initially planned to bring the site to an interim care and surveillance state by 2036 and as a brownfield site by 2336 at a total cost of £2.9 billion. The first step has been a 10-year process to remove 68 tonnes of highly radioactive liquid metal coolant from the primary circuit of the reactor. That has now been completed. The radioactivity has been absorbed in an ion exchanger and packaged and stored as intermediate level waste. Some 1,000 trillion becquerels of cesium-137 was extracted from the coolant. Okay, so what's a becquerel if you're not sure? One becquerel is defined as the activity of a quantity of radioactive material in which one nucleus decays per second. So cesium-137 is a radioactive isotope of cesium which is formed as one of the more common fission products produced by the fission of uranium-235. The half-life of cesium-137 is approximately 30.17 years, which means that if you need to wait approximately 8 to 10 half-lives for the radiation level to, have, to fall below 1%, you're basically talking about a 300-year period in which you need to store that cesium before it becomes safe to handle. Right, so apart from that very long-term plan about dismantling the reactor and returning the site to a brownfield site, there are a few other things to be dealt with. For example, a 65-metre-deep shaft used for intermediate-level nuclear waste disposal is contaminating some groundwater and is threatened by coastal erosion in the next 300 years. The shaft wasn't designed for waste disposal but was used as such on a very ad hoc and poorly monitored basis without reliable waste disposal records being kept. Also, irradiated nuclear fuel particles are present on the seabed, estimated to be about several hundreds of thousands in number. The beach off Dune Ray has been closed since 1983 due to this danger, caused by old fuel rod fragments being pumped out into the sea. So in summary, we're left with a radioactive mess that's going to take decades to clean up, a site that's not going to be usable for other purposes for at least 300 years, and challenges around coastal erosion and sea level rise. Not to mention the billions of pounds it's going to cost to, to do all these things. And in fact, no one can estimate just how much it will cost to run a project that lasts decades into the future, and therefore those costs are not taken into account when calculating 
the relative cost of electricity generated from nuclear fission. And if they were, there's no doubt in my mind that it could never be competitive with the price of electricity generated from solar or wind. So let's just quickly contrast the situation of decommissioning a nuclear power reactor with that of recycling a solar panel. I've read a lot of stories, people saying that, you know, in 30 years' time, the world's rubbish dumps are going to be filled with junk solar panels. And although that is a possibility, the truth is that solar panels are primarily composed of glass, plastic and aluminium, three materials that are already recycled in mass quantities. Research studies conducted on the topic of recycling solar panels have resulted in numerous technologies. Some of them even reach an an astonishing 96% recycling efficiency. Now, obviously, this is something that we can legislate over and we can force manufacturers to make their solar panels recyclable. But even if they're not recyclable, it's not the case that we have to find somewhere to store them away from humans for a period of hundreds, thousands, or maybe even millions of years before they become safe. So I just want to clarify one one thing here is that when I've talked about nuclear power, I've been talking about power from nuclear fission, which is the splitting of atoms to release energy. The alternative is power from nuclear fusion, which is the energy released when atoms are fused together. And that is going to be the subject of a future topic of the week. That's all for this week. I hope you found the podcast interesting. And if so, please share with your friends and family. Also, please give me any feedback or suggestions for a topic of the week. You can send those to weeklyclimate at gmail.com. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week with another episode of Climate Change Weekly. Although you're by my side, I feel you slip away. I've been so restless, can't seem to concentrate. Till you come back to me. Be my fate I need love